Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. Welcome to another episode of the Entree Musician Podcast. And hey, you know what we do here. This is the space where we concentrate on the mindset, discipline, and focus of the Entree Musician. I know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I did when we originally put it together. We are going back to an interview we did back in November of 2019 with Miss Linda Bolero, who is the Associate Professor of Voice at Berklee College of Music. She's also a private vocal consultant and graduated from New England Conservatory of Music in Boston with a BM in vocal performance and uh, this was a great interview a lot of fun for me it's always more fun when I am interviewing someone outside of my league meaning I did not know what I was doing so that was fun because she uh, teaches a lot very great grounded young lady and um has traveled around the world teaching students. Now she teaches online as well as her responsibilities at Berkeley. But you, if you are a singer, you will learn a lot. She is the author of the wonderful book called Being a Singer. Can you imagine that? (laughs) Being a Singer, the Art, the Craft, and the Science with a foreword um, to that book by none other than Jack Canfield, uh, the author of The Chicken Soup uh, franchises. So a uh, great book, um, very balanced. If you are not a singer, but like me are a producer or someone who works with singers all the time, uh, I would recommend getting the book because uh, it is just a very good well thought out, very well planned book, and you will absolutely learn a lot about the voice. I also want to uh, invite you to, when you have the opportunity, to go to our YouTube channel and watch this interview at the Entree Musician channel there because uh, we, you know, she's filming this from her classroom and we kind of make references to some of the visuals that she has in the classroom and so you would benefit by uh, not only listening here but like we do with most of the interviews we have we do have the video on YouTube as well so you can avail yourself to uh, that so without further ado let's just jump into this interview you really are going to enjoy it and it's our pleasure to bring it to you Miss Linda Bolero. A peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician, and so are you. Welcome to another episode of the Entree Musician. This episode is going to be wonderful. It's a little bit uh, off of our beaten path because we are actually going to interview a true academian. We're going to interview Linda Bellero, who is the associate professor of voice at Berkeley College of Music. She is also the author of the incredible book for singers. It's called Being a Singer, The Art, Craft, and Science. And uh, we're going to have a great time today. We're going to discuss all things that have to do with singing in our voice. But before we do that, why don't we do this? Because we're talking about the voices. Now, you know all of our Entree Musician Podcast and our videos are sponsored by the wonderful people at Vocal. Vocal is the only beverage on the planet which is designed to soothe, refresh, and restore your voice. 
If you talk all day like I sometimes do, or you sing all night like Linda does, then you got to get yourself some vocal. Go to drinkvocal.com to learn more. Now, I am absolutely honored, Linda. I am honored that you would take time from your busy schedule to come join us at the Entree Musician. As I told you beforehand, we're going to dedicate this episode to my mom, her memory. Her name is Ellen Young. She always wanted to be an opera singer. So when I saw you on LinkedIn, I thought, wow, mom would be honored to do this because you have traveled the world and you are an incredible teacher of voice. Thank you so much for your time. How are you doing today? Well, Jerry, it's really nice to meet you and to be here. I thank you for everything that you've said. And I'm here because I really admire what you're doing. Thank uh, you. There's so much about the music business and the music industry that's behind a curtain. And there are a lot of gatekeepers. Uh, and it's really important for uh, people who reach out and, and unlock those gates for people who are starting out or even people who've been doing it for a while but not getting what they want out of their, their work. So uh, bravo, and I'm glad to be here for that reason because I, I want to uh, eliminate the gatekeepers. Well, thank you very much. I mean, you are the, uh, if there are star makers, uh, after reading your resume, you would be one. You've worked with some incredible people. You've traveled around the world. And you said, I think the, the bio says that it was a happy accident that you actually ended up as a teacher. Can you tell me some of your journey? Yes, um, it, it, it kind of was. Um, I had not planned on becoming a voice teacher. Uh, when I was young as a conservatory student, one of my coaches told me once in the middle of a lesson, if there's one thing you must do with your life, Linders, you must teach. And at hmm. that time, I was a college student, and I thought he was crazy. And I said, well, how can you say that when I'm worrying about my own jaw tension? And he said, because you have, um, you have some kind of intuition that, that will work as a teacher. And I kind of forgot about that because I was doing my own thing for a long time. And I came to teaching quite late in life because I really did not want to work with people before I had established my own sense of what I needed to do and what needed to be done and learning about the singing industry. Um, I didn't want to start teaching when I was 30. I felt like I'd didn't know how to do anything myself. So um, I kept working. And uh, at one point, um, uh, a coach that I worked with in Vienna, we had done uh, some recitals together, offered me a teaching job. And I said, what? I, I can't teach. You know, and he said, no, come, you'd be wonderful for these kids. So uh, I went down to the conservatory in Vienna and I, I met the classes and I thought, okay, well, I can help these people, I think. And I started to put together a plan and started to get myself some training. And uh, when I went there teaching, I found that I was really excited and really liked it. Um, a lot of voice teachers get this um, you know, big thrill out of helping others, especially when we spend so much time working on ourselves we get to a point where we really love the chance to share it and give back to somebody else. And when I got that teaching bug, I said, this is, this is great. So. So what landed you from uh, Austria and Venice to, to uh, Berkeley school of music or Berkeley college? Yes. A very unexpected road. Indeed. If someone had asked me 10 years ago, if I'd be teaching at Berkeley, I, I probably would have said, no, I had nothing in my mind about that. 
Um, I came back to the United States because I had reached a point where my, with my singing and teaching, where I felt like I wanted to do more. And in Europe, things are more, a little bit more uh, regimented than here. The pathways for careers and the pathways that you move on are a little bit more um, defined. And here in the U.S., there's more, a little bit more like make your own thing, you know. Um, so uh, I decided to come back to the States so I could work a little bit more closely with my mentor, who was in, in, uh, in L.A., and learn more about teaching and really start to study teaching, not just teach what I do, but actually learn about all the genres, learn about all the styles, learn about what it takes to become a contemporary singer, a musical theater singer, an opera singer, and all these things and all, all aspects of, of how you develop and craft your voice. So I came back to the US and I was teaching here privately and uh, working with uh, several nice clients, local musicians, national musicians, uh, also recreational singers. And I got an offer to teach a clinic at Berkeley College of Music. And I came here and I taught um, one day in a really wonderful masterclass clinic situation with a variety of singers. And they uh, asked me to come here to teach. Mm. And um, first I wasn't sure if I should or not, but after some negotiating, we. We got here. That's fantastic. So how long have you been uh, an associate professor there? Uh, almost six years. That's excellent. So did you come from a musical family? Did you come from a family of singers? Or what was uh, your childhood like that said, you know, you said, hey, this is what I want to do with my life? Well, I think that um, my family, there's no professional musicians in my family. Uh, but there are people who were always drawn to music and always always drawn to doing music uh, in a serious way. So I grew up listening to my parents' record recordings of the Rat Pack, so mm. and uh, these kinds of singers, and that's yeah. what I grew up listening to. I also grew up listening to Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. Mm -hmm. um, I started piano lessons really young, at about the age of five or six and uh, became quickly addicted. Um, I'm not a, a great pianist by any means, but I also got a little hand arthritis as I've aged. So uh, my days of being that way are, uh, are over, uh, but I had a lot of fun with it and uh, became, you know, spend most of my time on classical music. Uh, but I was a big lover of Stevie Wonder. When I was 12, I was completely uh, <laughs> addicted to Stevie Wonder. And I would play uh, Living Just Enough for the City on the piano, probably not very well, but I thought it was great. Um, and I would just cry and cry and sing that song over and over again and cry and cry and cry. So that wow. I remember my connection to contemporary world then. Wow. So have you recorded? I didn't see anything uh, whereby you were recording artists, but most of your professional career other than teaching has been in performance. Is that right? Yes, I was a classical singer. So uh, in in uh, in those days, it was not so easy to record. You could, there was when I was uh, performing, there was no home recording. You got get a studio on every street corner. You had to be signed by a label. Ah, How old I, I see. So um, I had a couple of uh, recording offers when I was performing, but they always. Uh, you know, fell apart or didn't come together the way we wanted to, or the project wasn't really worth doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the way it is in the classical world. It's really different than it is today. 
things have changed fast, as I think you probably know. Certainly, and they're they're continuing to change all the time. But in that in that day, if you would have uh, uh, embarked on a recording career, it would have been in classical music. It wouldn't have been in contemporary at all. Like you couldn't have done an operatic version of Living for the City. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I totally went in the classical direction, and that's an interesting thing. I I was drawn to classical music. I played Beethoven as a child, and I. I, I fell in love with opera while watching PBS television. So when I was like 13 or 14, I turned on PBS and went, oh, and, and I was hooked from then on. Um, wow. But I did, I was always drawn to some of these people like Stevie Wonder and people like that. So I was always in this little dichotomy. But again, when you go to school for music and singing in the United States, everything is classical. So. Mm. When I was coming up in college, there were no places to go study contemporary music. Berklee College was strictly jazz, and I hadn't really studied jazz. I played some jazz piano with a teacher, uh, but I hadn't tried to sing it. So um, there really were no choices then. And even today, there's very limited choices for vocalists who want to go to college to study contemporary music. But at my time, there were none. There was mm. only Berkeley and jazz, and there were no other choices. So when you get tracked into a college degree in music as a singer, it's classical. And um, I happen to love it, so it worked out for me. Um, but like I said, when I got interested in teaching, um, I was, you know, my late 30s. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, well, if I'm going to teach singers, uh, I have to learn about everything else. And I remember going to the library in, in Vienna and pulling out a bunch of encyclopedias on music genres mm. and laying all the books out on the table and studying what is R&B and who are the lead singers and what is funk and who are the light singers. And so I actually studied all the genres uh, in, in the history of those genres for a few months before I, I, I started doing anything, thinking about teaching contemporary. That's that's absolutely excellent. So tell me, there there are a couple of terms because I'm completely naive. I'm not a singer. Uh, I'm a drummer, and uh, some people will say this jury is still out on that. But uh, there are some terms that you know I want to bring to this platform that maybe some singers don't know about. Uh, there's uh, voc vocology and voice mechanics. What does that actually mean when people just get the microphone out and just start belting? That's a really good question. There's a, a tremendous amount of vocabulary surrounding singing uh, that is very confusing and distracting and has different definitions for different people. In my book, I have really tried to bring it to bare bones and get us back to a normal language that we use in conversation and have very limited extra words that mean some mysterious thing that young singers can't figure out. Um, sure. I think there's been a lot of distractions. Vocology is uh, a relatively newer term used by people in the voice field, the professionals, to describe someone who has trained in how the voice functions and knows a little bit more about the voice than sort of a regular voice teacher or somebody who hasn't studied all the anatomy, physiology, cognition, acoustics that are part of understanding how we sing. Hmm. So uh, in mechanics has to do, it's just a, a way of talking about 
the body parts and how they function. It's like you have a car and it has several parts and they all work together and, and makes you go on the road or drive. Um, in the voice, we have a lot of different parts. We have the, the respiration and the air and the larynx and the vocal cords and all these little things and they function in a mechanical way. And interestingly enough, the leader in the field of vocal science who has uh, given us the most knowledge about the voice in the last 30, 40 years has an engineering degree in mechanical engineering. Wow. And he's the one that <laughs> was able to do the studies and figure out that actually this is a mechanical system. Biomechanical is what I like to yeah. call it. Um, and to sing well, you don't need to know any of this, um, but it's helpful sometimes to singers who are having trouble. Mm. So when s singers are not happy with their voices, it's quite distressing. And they get really frustrated, depressed, anxious, nervous, and um, sometimes knowing, aha, okay, it's just this kind of a system. It takes away a lot of the pressure and a lot of the sort of self-esteem things that are happening because you don't feel happy in your voice. Wow. So I see that in your classroom there, you have a chart. Uh, it looks like a biological chart behind you with probably the throat or the voice in the mouth. Is that correct? Yeah, it has this, this chart here. I'll make see if you can see a little yeah. It has everything. Um, I don't talk about this a lot with singers. It's here in case somebody has questions or uh -huh. um, wants to discuss it. Um, take away some of the mystery. I also show videos. So there's a lot of videos you can look at on YouTube that show the vocal folds and everything inside if you want to do look at that. Uh -huh. What's most important to me is sensory awareness. And this is one of the reasons I wrote the book. Because people spend so much time thinking about the voice and throwing around uh, fancy vocabulary, um, singers get taken away from, um, from sensory awareness, which is how we sing, how we do music in general. Uh, and we do that because that's the way our bodies work. That's the way our brains work. And singing is a, a motor skill. Uh, motor skill, like playing an instrument or riding a bicycle using chopsticks. Those are all activities that we learn how to do with our body parts. And singing is the same thing, but it's very complex. It uses more of our neurology uh, than many other things. It uses our instincts. Uh, vocalizing and using voice is part of our DNA. Uh, it's part of the way we survived through, through the, the centuries. And, uh, and so, um, this amount of sensory awareness that you need for singing is greater than a lot of other things. And those senses are hearing, physical sensation, and also visualizing. We need that to, to, to really vocalize and sing well too. And I think, I think all those things are for instruments as well. It's just more intense when it's in your body. Understood. Um, so the sensory awareness is really huge and it's a main thesis of the book and it's developing people how you can develop your ability to sense things so that you can sing better and sing more comfortably, have better tone and feel like, uh, feel like you can make the, the sound that you want. So you don't sound like everybody else. This isn't a training program that's designed to make everybody sound a certain way, but it's a, it's a training program designed to make you be able to go up and down in your voice, in your range, without losing tone quality, without feeling uncomfortable, and uh, learning how to inflect the, the words and the phrasing so that you can sing the music you want 
in the style you want and be authentic to your own voice. I understand. And, and I think you go a little deeper in that in the book because you set the lines of demarcation from the art, the craft, and the science. Yes. So uh, if I understand correctly, then not only are we taking these components individually so that the reader can understand or the vocalist can understand, but there's an awareness that they're working together like that car, like the mechanical parts are all flowing in one because expression, if you sing the right notes and you go up and down the scale and you're perfect at it, but there's no expression, That's really right. not singing. Yeah, the whole purpose of singing is saying something, right? And say, it's, it's sharing an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's one of the reasons people like Stevie Wonder are so compelling. And, and, and when we take singers like today, um, the ones who are the most successful in their careers are the ones that are sharing this authentic emotional experience in every genre. Mm -hmm. So it's like you can take 10 genres of music that are all wildly different from country to rock to opera, and the most successful people are the ones that are really able to share that authentic emotional experience. But Let me ask you this question then. Let's, uh, let's say, I mean, because we'll go classical R&B, gospel, pop, contemporary, soul, jazz. But what about hip hop? Is, is hip hop considered where, you know, you're going to have to have a certain delivery, of course, and the pronunciation and the way you deliver the words. But is there something that's going on in the voice that maybe a hip hop artist could benefit from your training? Yeah. Well, hip hop uh, is the, the closest to speaking, right? It is basically yeah. speaking in rhythm. Um, uh, but there is some, you know, some melody and there are some hip hop artists that combine singing and, and, and the hip hop talking. Um, I've worked with several hip hop artists who got into trouble because you can also push or reach or try too hard when you're doing hip hop and you can get tired, lose your voice. If you're in the recording studio for eight hours a day, you're going to be tired by the end of that and you need strategies to deal with it. So, uh, you know, the life of being a professional singer, even a semi-professional singer is tiring and you need to um, have some tools to help you get you through the fatigue. Uh, so the hip hop artists I work with have been, uh, you know, we've had to like uh, relax a little bit of the muscles. So they learn how to speak without pulling up or reaching up for things or forcing the words out. And that becomes sort of a coordination thing. Can you be really active here without pulling here? Um, and and also with getting a sense of that, uh, a focus on the words and what you're trying to express. For example, some, some uh, hip hop artists are really great at the beats. And so they're so focused on the beats that the words are just running by mm -hmm. without any sort of Inflection. Uh, yeah, inflection on them. And so if you are speaking a lot of words really fast and with a lot of energy without inflection, you're actually going to start getting more tight because inflection is natural. It's something we do automatically without thinking. It's part of our brain, the way our brain works. So uh, if I say I'm going to the store to buy some milk, I can say it many ways, right? I can say I'm, I'm going to the store or I can say I'm going to the store. Or, and I can emphasize different words to show the intention of what I'm saying. What's my message? It's not just the words that deliver the message. Right. So a lot of young hip hop artists have to learn to use their words to share the message, not just the beats. You Understood. Know, you need the groove and the inflection. 
That's great. And so uh, on your website there, you had some great testimonials. Uh, I, I imagine that the two gentlemen that I watched were both Berkeley students at one time, but the one gentleman said something that was very interesting about helping, you helped him find his natural voice. Like he thought he was a baritone because he was listening to Barry White and most of the lower registers, but he was a true tenor. How do you bring that out to where a person walks into your studio and they think they're this and you bring that natural uh, God-given voice out of them? How do you, how do you hone that? Well, um, that particular person, Mike Moore, he's, he's, he was never a Berkeley student. He, oh, I see. He's also in the book, though, because the book has interviews uh, with several, uh, a few singers and um, uh, the scientist, and also uh, has an interview with Mike Gordon from the band Fish and a Broadway musical theater production, uh, producer. Mm. So Mike is in the book because of the kind of thing you're talking about. When he was a young guy starting out as a singer, he was already an excellent guitarist. He has a really strong uh, feel for old blues. And, and he grew up really loving James Brown and wanting to be like James Brown. And of course, when you're 19 years old, you're not gonna sound like James Brown, particularly if you're a white guy from the suburbs, right? <laughs> so- You could try, you could try, right? <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to be James Brown, right? When he was really young. So, um, so, he was disappointed when he found out that he actually is not going to have that rich throaty sound that that some of those um older blues guys had yeah uh, but uh by training the voice and it's just the scales it's it's not really a big mystery but when you use scales that go from low to high in your voice and back again so that you're singing just up and down up and down up and down and you're keeping the vowels clear and consistent your voice is just going to start working because we're made to do that. Our bodies are made to do it. And hmm. when it's not happening, it's because we're stopping it. I see. So once you start thinking vowels and just going, oh, I can go, everybody can go up and down. And uh, our culture and our environment has sort of, you know, blocks us from doing it. Hmm. So when you start training and you're in a voice lesson, it's kind of non-threatening and then you don't have to deal with the, the, the cultural issues. You start being able to go back and forth very, very quickly. Uh, you can do it, you can do it in minute, within minutes. Mm -hmm. um, some guys, it takes a little bit longer. It might take a couple of lessons, uh, might take an hour, might take a, a couple of months because, uh, you know, we don't hear, hear that so often. Um, but now um, he's been compared to Prince in his in recent reviews. Wow. His vocals have been compared to Prince. So he's feeling a little more, more comfortable with the high. But yeah. it was it was a hard thing for him because he didn't want to sound thin. Mm -hmm. you know, and he felt like that's that's not blues if I sing really high. Um, but he's created his own sort of sense. So he um, has a hard rock, modern rock and roll with a, a feeling of the blues in it but he also can sing high and not lose the sense of that genre. Wow. That, that's, that's wonderful. And that's an incredible explanation because I knew that when I watched that testimony, I was going to ask you about that because everybody has a natural voice. No two voices are really alike. Even among twins, there are some things that are incredibly different with their, their speaking and their inflection. So how do you draw that out? So that, thank you for answering that. Let's stick with the book a little bit because uh, I noticed that the foreword was written by Jack Canfield, who I highly respect. I 
appreciated his book, The Power of Focus. And I'm a strong, firm believer in affirmations. And how did you make that connection for him to write the foreword? Well, this is a great story because it was really a coincidence. Uh, he and I met at an event in Boston where he was speaking. And I went to the event because um, I had just finished the first draft of the manuscript. And I was thinking, well, this is a guy who has written many, many books, so maybe I should go and, and hear what he has to say. And I really didn't know his material. I had yeah. heard of it, of course, because he's so well-known. Everybody's heard of Chicken Soup of the Soul and Carlos and, and these books. So I'd heard of them, and I knew kind of what he was about, but I hadn't studied his material before. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I went to meet him, it was a coincidence that his son is a student, was a student at Berkeley. I see. And I didn't know his son because Berkeley is huge. It's got 6,000 mm. students. So I didn't know his son, but we started talking and I said, well, you know, I think that our material has some things in common because my book is about developing sensory awareness and it's teaching singers to develop their sense of hearing and visualizing um, and, uh, you know, how they, how they, uh, focus and intentional focus and that kind of thing. And that's the main thesis of my book. And I, I do it through training and through stories and interviews. And so it's not uh, like written like an academic textbook. It's written in an entertaining, fun way, but it's also mm -hmm. educational. So he was excited. And I said, well, do you think you could provide an endorsement for the book? And he said, I'll do more than that. I'll write your foreword. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just so like that. Yeah, he likes to do it because he likes to um, promote other people. That's he's a teacher. Yeah. And so here he is, this this guy with a, many many books and a very public life and a lot of a career. He's made a lot of money with his business. He's just a teacher. And if you go to uh, work with him, uh, he's it's like sitting with your English, high school English teacher. Uh, wow. It's what he was before he became the Jack Canfield. Who he is. <laughs> that's what I like to say to him. I said, so before you were the Jack Canfield, and he laughs, you know, because uh, he was just a regular guy. And he, his story is really interesting because mm -hmm. he was a high school English teacher, and he really believed in education, but he was very frustrated in the educational system because he felt like, one, he was constrained about what he could teach people, Two, he felt like the system was not teaching people the things they needed to learn to have a successful and happy life. And so basically he found a way to teach what he wants to teach the way he wants to teach it and monetize it. Wow. So when you, <laughs> you work with him, he's, he's your high school English teacher. He's a regular guy and he's very authentic. He's very sincere. And uh, he, you know, he's been very, a, a great, uh, pleasure to get to know it. And I went to California to hand deliver him a book when they were, when they were printed. And uh, I brought him a book and I, I handed it to him and he took the book in his hands and he said, I remember the first time I had a book that I wrote. And he talked about those feelings and he asked me how I felt and we had a great conversation. And he, he took the book home that night and read it. And the next day, he said, uh, he said, there's a lot of things in that book. There's a lot of things in that book. And I said, yeah, there are. So he gave it to his son and yeah. uh, ordered, ordered another copy for his son. So he kept his copy. So 
Absolutely. Well, if you are watching or listening out there, I absolutely uh, recommend this book. I think that even if you are not a singer, you can learn if you're working with singers. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. myself as a music producer, I work with singers all the time. And uh, I know I can't, when I go on the mic, you know, I'm trying to say this is the line and I can't really grasp it, but I can give them that emotion and that's half the battle for me. So I'm going to order the book myself so I could learn how to be a better producer when I'm doing those type of sessions. So thank you for writing it. Now, let's just move a little bit into what makes your approach to teaching different than any other vocal instructor? What would you say is the defining aspect of coming to you as a student? Well, I think there are a couple different elements that work together. Um, one is my background in, in uh, classical music, in performing and playing piano, uh, is given me a very rich way of understanding music and phrasing, particularly phrasing, because I think a lot of the contemporary music teaching uh, is very slow at teaching people how to phrase something. And the, the principles of phrasing are the same for every genre of music that, that you do, but there's the, the how you do it is specific to genres. Um, so I think I bring a lot to the table in, in that department because I've worked with conductors a lot and I learned most of this from conductors, I have mm -hmm. to say, I didn't learn it from teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is my training as a, a, a vocal instructor. My mentor was very successful and um, he's trained a lot of people. I don't know if you know the name Seth Riggs. I and don't. He trained Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson, Prince, and uh, many other people all through the 80s and 90s. And he taught a lot of people how to teach uh, with this ability to connect the lower and upper ranges. Okay. So I can very quickly uh, uh, train singers' voices to connect the lower and upper range. So mm -hmm. if anyone's having trouble with high notes, anyone's having trouble doing high notes and low notes together, or um, this kind of thing, is I can deal with that pretty quickly just because of the training I've had. So mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate and uh, blessed to get that training. Yeah. And then I think I'm very um, much of a singer's advocate. So I stand up for singers because I remember what it was like to not mm -hmm. have that. And... I, I think it's very tough in today's world that singers don't have anybody who's got their back. And there's not a lot I can do. I'm not a producer. I'm not in, uh, connected to a label. Um, but I can uh, put singers in a position where they understand what they have to do, where they have the confidence to move ahead, and they can go into strange environments and know what they have to deal with. Um, and so I prepare people all for dealing with the, the life. What do you have to do when you're in a studio? When a producer is trying to get something out of you, how can you respond to that without screaming or tightening up and getting uh, closed off? Um, what is the producer really looking for and, and how do we get them what they need without stressing this? What do you need to do to connect with an audience when you're on stage? How do you do that? How do you move and how do you get your body connected to the music so that you're really communicating the message that you want to share? 
you bring a lot of, uh, there's a lot of points to really explore with that answer. I'm not going to uh, take you down all the rabbit trails that you talked about, but one of the things I will highlight is the fact that you mentioned Seth Riggs and the specialization. When people see superstars like they did with Michael or Prince or a Stevie, I mean, yes, they had that God-given talent that they were born with, but all of them worked with a vocal coach and a trainer who helped them to really hone their talent. If you take a Whitney Houston or a Beyonce or someone, people generally think, the general public thinks, well, you know, they were born with it. I'll never be able to do that. But it takes the people, like you said at the beginning, the gatekeepers behind the scenes who are helping to show them where the weakness is so that they could strengthen their artistry. Is that right? It absolutely is. And one of the big uh, players in, in that generation of people who, who taught contemporary singers that you have to crack your voice was Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. Because Quincy Jones recognized, ah, I have this singer who's incredible, but they're not able to get this and I want that in the recording. So he brought him to Seth Riggs and he said to Seth, I need this from this guy. What can you do? And they became a team. And wow. he brought CB Wonder to Seth. He brought Michael Jackson. He said, You got to be able to do this. You got to be able to go up and down. You got to have these notes available to you in all dynamic ranges. You can't just yell some tones, and that, that'd be the only way you get it out. So people have this, this instrument, this, this uh, sound from nature, uh, but they have to learn how to craft it. It's a craft. Right. right. Singing is a craft. Prince did not just get up there and just sing. He Great. took crafting for 10, 15 years to be able to do what he wanted to. He heard the vision in his mind of what he wanted to sing like and what he wanted to do with the music, but he needed tools yeah. to craft that. That's excellent. That's absolutely excellent. Well, I, I certainly appreciate your time. The, the last thing I want to ask is what can a student do? They're looking at your website here uh, as we're going through this interview process and you have personal training in person as well as online via Skype. What can they expect when they click on and they meet you online? They're halfway across the country. Take us through what that looks like. So I want you to have 150,000 more students as a result of this interview. I'm already having trouble getting any sleep. So let's try. <laughs> last night, I was, I, I've been teaching people in China the last three nights in a row at 11 p.m. So I'm wow. a little tired. But yeah, I teach people all over the world. I have students in Israel and Europe that I've never met, South America and China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the first thing that I do with someone is assess what's happening with their voice. How do they use their voice? So we just do a couple of very, very simple scales so I can just hear how they approach different issues in their voice. And then we talk about what, what that is and, and how the singer is feeling it, sensing it, and what the singer's goals are. So it's really important for me to understand what does this person want from their singing and want from their voice and their music. And when I know that, then I can apply the exercises or the training tools that will be best suited to that person's particular goals. And if someone doesn't Great. have a clear goal yet, we can work on that too. So we can mm -hmm. develop it based on you know, helping them get exposure to different things um, and find out what are their goals? Where are they headed? 
okay, so this may seem like a challenging question, but you brought it up. So what are the best attributes that you appreciate about students? And conversely, what are the worst attributes that when this person is in front of your screen, you're going, can you, <laughs> can you be transparent enough to tell us what that is? I'll try. Um, there aren't too many things that I really feel are negative, but I'll tell you that it's really difficult to work with people who, uh, who have trouble sharing what their experience is. So they don't need to share, you know, personal things. I don't mean that, but I mean, if, if someone can't give feedback on what they're uh, experiencing, it's more difficult. Um, but it is, it is common as a beginner that you can't do that yet. You have to kind of practice it. But um, after, after you have some experience, it's really helpful to the vocal coach or vocal instructor uh, for you to be able to say, oh yeah, that doesn't feel good, or that's not really what I was looking for. I'm afraid that sound isn't gonna work. Um, and, and if people don't share that, then it's really like, um, you know, archeological hunt to find out exactly what <laughs> the process. Wow, so. Comes to the table and says, you know what? Um, I just feel like this isn't working. I'm really frustrated with the way I feel doing these notes or it doesn't sound the way I want. You know, I want this kind of a thing. I see myself as this kind of a singer. Then it's really easy for me to just dig in. So the best attribute they can bring to the table is having a vision of the type of vocalist they want to be. Yes, yeah. And you get that by developing your focus in visualizing, right? Like you know from uh, the power of focus that you're talking about. Absolutely. Have some of those exercises in the book. So for the people who are not clear on that yet, there are some exercises on that in the book so you can discover it for yourself. That's fantastic. Well, I, I certainly appreciate you spending your time with us today. Uh, was there a question that you would have hoped I would have brought up and I did not? Or information that you would like to share that I didn't approach? Um... I can't think of anything. I think you're really good at this. And uh, there are sort of a lot of things about the book that I could talk about for a long time since I wrote it. You can also talk away. But um, I think you covered the important things. Um, the, the, again, the uh, awareness things, the ability to self-assess and, and, and discover what you're doing. It's just, I would say, one of the important issues that we talked about today. Um, and and I think anyone who picks up the book will understand that pretty quickly. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Well, I'm so grateful, Linda. I know this will be the first of several conversations we'll have as we uh, go into the future. Uh, my heart will be, when I'm working with someone here in Northeast Ohio, Western PA, is to recommend, first of all, your book, secondly, your website, and obviously your training as well. Because, uh, you know, it's, this is the only voice that we can't buy. You can buy a guitar, you can buy a keyboard, you can buy a saxophone, but you can't buy your voice. So thank you so much for uh, really being a beacon to those who need to strengthen what God gave them. I appreciate you. Well, thank you for saying that because um, that, that means a lot to me, what you just said. And um, I love what you're doing. And I hope that we get to meet sometime too and, and maybe work together because I can see that um, there are some things we have in common. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again. This is Linda Bolero. She's Associate Professor of Voice at Berkeley College of Music. She's author of the great book called Being a Singer, The Art, Craft, and Science, forward by the great Jack Canfield. But she's an author in her own right. God has blessed her, and she's blessing others. So thank you so much. My name is Jerry B. I am the entree musician, Linda is an entree musician, and so are you. We'll see you next time. God bless. Bye. See you. And so that's it. I told you you were going to enjoy this conversation. Wonderful uh, young lady who is very grounded. You can hear her spirit. She's right on point. And uh, as I said, very knowledgeable uh, as to the voice, the mechanics of the voice, the science, the craft of what it takes to be a great singer. You may want to visit her website at lindabolero.com. That's L-I-N-D-A, Linda B-A-L-L-I-R-O, Linda Bolero. I'll put a link in the show notes to this episode, but uh, check her out and uh, I'm sure that she will help you take your voice to the next level. Uh, Maybe not mine, but yours. (laughs) So peace and blessings to you. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician and so are you. We look forward to checking you out again next Monday. God bless.